we're going to be looking at a documentary based on a best-selling book called The Bible on Earth and exploring the field of biblical archaeology. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. It's great to see you all again. Welcome back to another episode of Rabbi Reacts. We have been tracking in this mini-series the documentary The Bible Unearthed, based on this book of people who think the Bible is completely unhistoric and has no connection to modern archaeology. Modern archaeology is disproven. And we have been pointing out, I've been reacting to their claims, pointing out, in fact, it seems that when you look closely, the Bible is so accurate historically and archaeologically that it is remarkable. Now, before we get into today's episode, if you haven't yet done so, please remember to like, to subscribe, and to click on the notification button. And also look forward to any comments you've got um, on this or any other episodes. Today, we are going to be looking at a claim being made in this documentary, The Bible Unearthed, by Neil Asher Silberman and Isar Finkelstein, two of the very well-known scholars who, who argue that the Bible is totally unhistoric, together with some other scholars as well. And they are going to be making the claim that they know who the author of the book of Deuteronomy is. And via that, kind of one of the motivations underpinning their claim of late human authorship centuries after the Torah itself claims to have been written. So let's dive straight in. Now, the story they're going to be telling us is... I'll do a bit of a spoiler alert. It's going to be King Josiah. Those who speak Hebrew or read the, the Bible in Hebrew, it's King Yoshiahu. Uh, English, we, the year becomes a jar and uh, the U at the end gets dropped, is King Josiah. Now, you may not have heard of King Josiah unless you're a scholar of Tanakh, of the Bible, in which case you will have heard of King Josiah, King Yoshiahu. But let's get straight into the argument that he is the author of the book of Deuteronomy. A king by the name of Josiah reigned in Jerusalem. He was the great-grandson of Hezekiah and dreamed of a great pan-Israelite kingdom. A truly unified kingdom. The Bible is exceedingly generous in its praise of this king. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to Yahweh with all his heart and soul and might, obeying all the laws of Moses. That is what the Hebrew Bible had to say of Josiah. He's perhaps not a very well-known king, but he was quite extraordinary according to the Bible. The authors of the biblical text tell how Josiah ordered work to be carried out in the Temple of Jerusalem. This is a very important point in terms of our investigation. During these works, the great priest discovered a book. He announced that the book of the law has been discovered. The book was given to the king who, on reading it, tore off all his clothes as a sign of mourning or consternation. He then undertook a major reform which included the prohibition of all other places of worship, thereby making Jerusalem the only legitimate place of worship. Now, just by the way, I think it's worth pausing there. That is already a bit of an interpretation. It's very clear in the biblical text in Tanakh that this has already been the view that uh, many prophets and kings fought against idolatry in, at full stop. And even against once the temple was built in Jerusalem, against wider worship uh, outside. So this is already an interpretation that he's the creator of all that. But okay, let's go and listen to the argument now. Was a book really discovered? 
Or was this just a pretext to launch a project that had been envisaged for some time? No one knows. But as a result of this discovery, Josiah launched the most radical reform in the kingdom's history. Experts believe that this book, which has been given the name The Book of the Covenant, was in fact the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Pentateuch. Now, it's just worth pausing right there on that phrase, experts believe this is the book of Deuteronomy. It is true there are some experts who believe that. We're going to see more discussion on this coming up soon. This, this hypothesis goes back to the 1800s, a German early biblical scholar called De Wet, who said, oh, this must be uh, Josiah, this must be the book of Deuteronomy, and he himself is writing it to one of his immediately friendly scribes. Now, in other words, it's a pious fraud pretending to be going back to Moses, which we'll see them elaborate on soon. I just want to take one moment to contemplate the context, because from a more traditional perspective, or in fact, as we'll see from other perspectives, how to make sense that they were not aware, uh, the king of Judah, of the Torah. We've actually seen archaeologically, it's very clear, ancient Israelites, contrary to what they're going to argue here, were keeping enormous parts of Torah. We actually have archaeological evidence of Israelite community after Israelite community, for example, not eating pigs, building altars in exactly the biblical description, having worship sites with no idols on it. And very clearly, it seems these are the Torah observant people. And certainly, as we're going to argue, we've already argued in previous episodes, there's enormous evidence of the Torah being written centuries before Yoshio. So how could he suddenly discover the book? And the answer is actually not that difficult. Jerusalem in those days was not an enormous city. It was the administrative capital city. But it wasn't a city of millions of people. It was a few thousand people, most of whom were royal scribes or priests or administrators of one form or another, loyal to the administration. The two administrations prior to Yoshio to Josiah had actually been actively pagan, actively introducing or, or magnifying the worship of the pagan deities against the old traditional god the Jews had always served. And we do see all the way, but both archaeologically and biblically, a constant conflict between wanting to worship idols like all the peoples around them versus loyalty to Hashem, to God. And here, the previous two kings had, had self-consciously eradicated the traditional Judaic religion, Jude what we now call today Judaism. And Yeshua grows up as a young child in that world where he's not educated that way. And it's only when he's stumbling through the temple or when there's repairs being done, they find some of the previous loyal priests had hidden the stuff, which very likely in hinterlands were quite well known. Um, and so that's what's going on. But either way, certainly there is something mysterious in this discovery of this book that makes them uh, want this book of the covenant that makes them want to enact these reforms. So the suspicion, it makes a lot of sense to suspect that well, maybe he or one of his priestly friends wrote it on his behalf as some kind of excuse to centralize power, as we're going to see is the hypothesis from Duet to the uh, authors of this uh, documentary. The reform gave priority to the laws that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai and centralized the region in Jerusalem. Now, let's just pause there. He, do you hear him say, and centralized the region in Jerusalem? I'm going to come back to that one in one minute. Josiah needed centralization of power, strong administration, complete control of the state. One way to do that was to centralize cult, to do this reform of cult, which would lead back to the idea, to the pan-Israelite idea, that all Israelites will must worship one God in one place. 
in Jerusalem. Ah, so Josiah has created the book of Deuteronomy because it helps this centralization of power. All Israelites must worship one God in one place, Jerusalem. He is capital city. There's only one major problem with this. The word Jerusalem does not appear once in the book of Deuteronomy, nor in any of the five books of the Torah. I've said this before in previous episodes, and it's really, really important. If Josiah was the author, or if any of his priests or local Jerusalemites were trying to centralize the kingdom in Jerusalem, of course they'd have put the word Jerusalem in there. Even if they found an older document and they just wanted to edit it a bit, of course they would put the word Jerusalem in there. But it's not in there, which is pretty clear that this is not them writing it, nor is it any Judah king, nor is it anybody, any human being, after the centralization of Jerusalem i.e. the 10th century BC. But that's not all. Let's just have a look a little, little bit further. This is how if you do this and you demolish the cult places in the countryside, definitely you control better the economy, you control better the state, you better control the state, and you can achieve your goals in a better and faster way. Now, let me make a number of points. The first is that this is not the first time that we see uh, archaeologically Judean kings worshipping one god. As I've already pointed out to you in Chirbet Kayafa, all the way back into the 10th century BCE, right, there are finds of, a, of an altar that appears to be not just monotheistic worship of one god, but a god that has no image, no form. And the Torah and Tanakh is, is clearly attesting to this struggle all the way through. But there's something else over here. Listen to what Finkelstein just said there. He said this is about centralizing the, the monarchy, centralizing the, the um, administration, and so on. In other words, as the archaeology shows us, that time period, there was a very strong administration that you could see already from a few centuries before Yoshio, before Josiah. You can already see in the 8th century seals that are identical all over the kingdom, stamping things for the king, which means to say there's a centralized bureaucracy, a very well-run administration, highly literate society, very complex, structured, central, legal institution. But, as a number of scholars have pointed out, none of that can be found in the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim. In fact, if we want to compare what Yeshua, what Josiah himself does with what Devarim says, you'll see they don't actually line up every time. So just as one example, right? In uh, Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 6 to 8, say like this, If a Levite, anyone from the tribe of Levi, comes from any of your gates, where he is sojourning, where he lives there, and he comes as he desires to the place God will choose. Again, very clear there isn't one place. And in fact, as we know, in the early entry to, to Canaan, the Israelites had several places, different places that were holy. There was usually one at a time, but Shiloh, for example, before then Gilgal. And so wherever it is that God chooses, he comes to that, that place where the portable temple is. And he serves in the name of Hashem, the traditional pronunciation of Elokov is, uh, is God. Like any of the Levites who serve there in the temple. Now, if you look at the book of Kings 2, chapter 23, verse 2, it describes, and quite consistently, by the way, it focuses on who is there in the central administration of the temple. This king, right, uh, of Josiah, this is his great um, big national gathering on the festival of Pesach. He, they gather all the elders, 
And all the Yosher Yishalayim, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Ita with him, Vakohanim, Vanavim, the Kohanim, priests, the, the prophets, and all the people, small to big, and reads the Book of the Covenant. Notice it doesn't mention Levites. Now, that's not really a contradiction in law, because they have different roles in the temple. The Kohanim, the priests, have a central um, role in actually serving the offerings, and the Levites do all sorts of other things in the temple. But if you've got a Book of Deuteronomy supposed to be written by Josiah, constantly emphasizing the importance of the Levite role, and yet, when we actually look at his ceremonies, there's no particular role for the Levites. That suggests this is not a coherence of authorship. Now, let's remember, according to this hypothesis, the author is King Josiah, 7th century BCE, very intense central monarchy, all about centralizing the king's power. Well, guess what? The book of Deuteronomy does not really believe in the king's power. In chapter 17, verse 14 says, Ki If you come to the land which God will give to you and you inherit it, and you say, I'd like a king like all the other nations around me. It doesn't sound like a very nice ideal. God wants there to be a king. If you really want to be like the nations around you, which the whole book of Deuteronomy generally tells you, don't be like the nations around you. Okay, then you can have a king who Hashem will choose from amongst your, your brethren. Verse 16, He can't have too many horses. Imagine a king saying, make sure the king doesn't have too much wealth. Well, it carries on. He's not even allowed too many wives. Hey, one of the perks of being a king in the ancient world is you've got to have a whole harem full of women. No, the Torah says you're not allowed to. He's not even allowed to have too much money, not too much silver, not too much gold. Can you imagine a royal writing it? Guess what? It doesn't say the whole nation must listen to all the laws of the king and here's what the... No, the king, that's it. You know, you know, he's got to write a Torah scroll so he keeps the law. You know, as you don't like him, you could take him to court. But there is nothing about the power of the king here. That does not sound like the sort of book being written by Josiah or any king of Israel or any royal scribe. In fact, it raises the important question, who could have written this? Maybe one of the priests? No, we've already seen, if, in fact, it lays down the role of the priests. Priests, remember, in the Torah are not even allowed to own land. In the book of, of Devarim, of Deuteronomy, there's actually a very strong emphasis on, on the Levites. There isn't a major emphasis of a major role for the kind and for the priests. By the way, none of the Torah is written by a very wealthy individual either because wealthy landowners have to redistribute their land every 50 years. It does beg the question of the type of typical human authors, uh, kings, royal scribes, and priests, would have seemed to be quite self-defeating on a project like this. So it's a failure to mention Jerusalem. It's limiting the power of a king, saying really it's not the ideal to have one in the first place, and never giving any authority to the king, not giving much power to the priests either, and nor to any of the wealthy nobility. It doesn't sound like the sort of thing ancient human beings wrote. The average peasant didn't write big stuff in those days. And more than that, the, the book of Deuteronomy at Devarim, and in fact the whole Torah, appears to be written long before there's any central administration. It's all about farmers and vineyards. I'll just give you one, one or two examples. In chapter 22, we have quite a lot of the Deuteronomic law. The verses speak about the following. It talks about if you see an ox wandering in a field. So you've got oxes, you've got vineyards, you've got, um, and you've got to return it to the owner. You don't return it to any central uh, authority or anything, right? You then have uh, verse nine, you're talking about uh, planting vineyard stuff. In, in verse 10, you're talking about oxen again. The whole thing's talking about farmers. 
You even have laws later on about uh, in, if a person walks outside a village to another one and dies, the local village elders have to deal with it. Nowhere do we come across a central bureaucracy. Nowhere do we feel like we're in some kind of centrally run state. In fact, there is no discussion about the type of commerce that would have been central to Josiah or a 7th century or even 8th century or 9th century kings, such as uh, um, relationship between tenants and landlords or business contract law. None of that is in the Torah for an obvious reason. Just like there's no Jerusalem in the Torah. Just like there's no appreciation of the monarchy in the Torah. This book is written before any of those things are there. When the Israelites entered as a nomadic people, centuries before there's a Jerusalem, centuries before there's a Josiah or any monarch of significance, not written by kings, not written by priests, not written by wealthy landlords, and written for a people who are living day to day in the fields and the vineyards in their tent-dwelling uh, citizens who are trying to live a godly life. That is what the book of Deuteronomy is about. None of this uh, Josiah authorship, and in fact, not any royal authorship. And in fact, as I'm going to argue in the next episode, even make the case that it is not human authorship at all. Well, that might be quite radical, and I hope you're excited by that, and I look forward to seeing you in that next episode. Jews were exiled, I believe the number is 81 times. Instead of becoming 1.2 billion people, we bobbled along the bottom of the statistical graph. You're looking at somebody who somehow got the wildest prediction right. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed what you saw, please click on the like and subscribe and hit the notification button below. Thanks so much.